0: Welcome to Northgate Bible Chapel Online. Thanks for checking out our podcast where you can listen to our latest sermons filled with teaching, encouragement, and hope from God's Word. So, whether you're outdoors, in the car, or just poured some coffee, let's dive into today's message. But I was going to single out Ted Fox, and he wasn't here today. Um, I was going to ask him. Oh, Tom Steer. Thank you. (laughs) A brave man. Um, So I was going to ask Ted, and I'll ask Tom, um, when did you reach the pinnacle of your career, um, your professional career? Not an easy question. (laughs) I have a pinnacle. OK. Yeah, right now, because I'm retired. (laughs) Hard to argue with that. I think if I asked um, anybody, I think you would probably hesitate to say that, um, especially if you're in the middle of your career. I think you'd probably hope that, well, I hope I've not like maxed or hit the, the top yet. Uh, hopefully I'm still going to grow and progress. And, um, and so I guess I just want to open our topic this morning on prayer, uh, which is going to come out in these couple verses here with that maybe prayer isn't that different from from that and uh, do we do we expect our um, our prayer our life of prayer to be one that progresses and that one that is just going to continue to grow um, as we develop it? Um, obviously you're not going to progress as an engineer or as a craftsman if if your tools are just, Sitting in a in a shelf or uh, locked up in a box, and so we're not going to progress in prayer if we're not praying. I think we we would recognize that, and so hopefully the Lord just stirs our hearts today um, to understand a bit more about prayer. Um, if I ask the question, are there any prayer warriors here? I um, I don't. I don't want to ask that uh, just because I don't want people to feel uh, pressure whether or not they should raise their hand. How do you define a prayer warrior? Um, the more likely you pray, I would imagine uh, the more you probably realize you're only scratching the surface of, um, of the opportunity available to us through prayer. I, I have a feeling you're right. Um, and so my hope is today that the Spirit of God will stir our hearts um, to learn that prayer isn't an easy button, uh, otherwise I, I can understand then why we, we probably, many maybe, have, st- have stopped praying or aren't that um, faithful or believing in their prayers. Um, it's not an easy button, but it's, um, it's a practice that we, we desperately need to learn or relearn um, And so um, hopefully that will come together as we we move through this. And so I believe the backdrop today's passage, though, is really interesting. If we just back up in Romans 8 a little bit um, to verse 12, Romans chapter 8 and verse 12, it reads, Therefore, brethren, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live after the flesh. For if you live after the flesh, you will die. But if you through the Spirit mortify the deeds of the body, you shall live. And so it opens with that interesting statement, we are debtors. Uh, that implies an obligation is on the readers, um, those that are in this audience that Paul's addressing. Uh, we are debtors. And it's, we see that we are not debtors to the flesh. And in the context of the flesh versus spirit, it's, it's safe to say that we are debtors to the spirit. And, um, and so the question is, well, what is, the, what is an obligation, first of all? <laughs> And an obligation is a duty. It's a moral or legal requirement. For instance, you have a legal obligation to show up to your employer and to do the job that you're hired to do every day. Um, And then there's a moral obligation to, to do that to the best of your ability, to glorify the Lord in your work. And so there's an obligation that each of us probably can think of in our own lives on a practical basis, whether it's schooling or work, um, parenting, uh, spousing, that we're, there's obligations, right? And um, and are we obliged to God? And I think if we thought about that, as as I've spent some time thinking about it, there's at least two ways that we're ob- like uh, obliged to the Lord. Um, first is in creation, right? He is the Creator, and we're the created, we're the creature. And I don't know about you, but if you make something, I think you you tend to have this. Feeling that it's, it's yours, and especially if it's like if you're an engineer and you program it to do something, you expect it to do what it was programmed for. And so God is our, cre- as our creator, and we know, though, that this is something that we don't quickly come into compliance with. Back in Romans chapter 1, he says the creature has, um, uh, and now it's leaving my mind, um, they worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator. It was re, uh, we read there in Romans chapter 1. And so there's this, the created intent was for man to worship God, for the creature to worship the creator, and yet we see that, um, that we tend to worship creation. We tend to worship what we can see with our eyes. We worship ourselves. We want to we just um, do what's best for self, um, and yet that wasn't our created intent. The second thing is, it came up in today's um, morning meeting, the breaking of bread, that we have been bought with a price. So think about this. God created us and we were his. And, and then we read in Romans that we became slaves to sin, that sin was a master over us. And so imagine this though, like that God had to buy his own creation back if he wanted us, and he did. He wanted us so much that he shed his son's precious blood to buy us back and so we are doubly obliged to the lord one by creation and one um and two by the blood that he uh, shed of his son first uh, corinthians six twenty says you are not your own for you have been bought with a price there's obligation that comes from that we are purchased if you believe in the lord jesus as your savior you've you've agreed that yes i'm willing for you to buy me back I'm, i readily uh, relinquish my life to you and, um, and so there's others we could look at. I realize I am not clicking at all here. So uh, we are obliged. There we go. We caught up. Um, we have been bought with a price. And so Paul took this obligation seriously. Romans 1, he refers to himself as being a debtor to his calling. In verse 14, we would read of Romans 1 that he was a debtor to the gospel. Um, he, the calling of God in his life was one that he felt uh, very a real obligation. He felt like, I'm debtor am indebted. And so what did that look like? Romans 1 14 or 15, he says, as much as in me, I am ready to preach the gospel. In other words, he was ready to throw the entirety of his being into this obligation, into this um, debt. He was all in. And so the question is for you and I, are are we all in on this obligation? We're not even getting into prayer yet, but just um, we read here, you are debtors not to the flesh, but to the spirit. And so so what specifically is our obligation? Um, We see here, continuing in chapter 8, verse 14, that as many as are led by the spirit of God, they are the sons of God. So I would suggest that our first obligation is sonship, um, sons of the father, sons and daughters of God. And there's other wording here in this passage that verse 15 talks about the spirit of bondage that we were in versus the spirit of adoption. That's parental talk, right? God has adopted us as sons, Um, And we talked last week about, this is how we cry out, Abba, Father. It's just like saying, Daddy. Um, He has created a a relationship with us that we did not, um, that at one point we were enemies in our sin raising our fists against him. And then because of the work that he's done, um, there's this spirit of adoption that, that we're reading about here in chapter eight and this idea of sonship. And so I would suggest that one way we're obliged to the Lord is through sonship. And this is all gonna come together, I think, when we get to our passage of why we're looking at this. We mentioned last week that sonship also involves an inheritance. And we read those words in our chapter, um, that there is both a a future but also a present inheritance, the presence of God. God is my portion, the psalmist would say. Um, We have an inheritance. And so obligation number one, sonship, resembling the Father, representing the Father. Uh, We'll see later in this chapter, we are predestined to be conformed to the image of Christ. God wants us to look like a son of God. Um, And that's a a serious thing for us to consider. Uh, The second thing introduced in our passage here that I would say is another obligation is to suffer for Christ. Trying to find an icon that represented suffering, and I thought maybe an X for being canceled. It's kind of a word that um, we hear about today. But... Um, are you willing to be canceled for Christ? Are we willing to suffer for the Lord Jesus? And we see that in verse 17 through 21. Um, he's talking about the, the sufferings, verse 18, of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that's to come. And so why are we suffering, though? There's, we were subjected to futility, we read in verse 20. Um, and, and so there's this idea of... Um, a futility, a vanity, of, of a recognition of powerlessness uh, to control in our flesh, to control ourselves, to control people around us. Um, there's the bond, it's worded in verse 21, the bondage of corruption, um, certainly suffering associated with that. So we're surrounded by decay and powerless in our own self to do anything about it. We read of creation groaning, of the believer groaning, And uh, so, what a comfort! Though we were reminded last week that we don't suffer alone; that we suffer, that Christ suffers with us. Um, We read that that um, where was that in verse twenty? Was it verse twenty-two? I thought I had that written down. But we it says that we suffered with Christ, and so, um, or that's verse seventeen. We will suffer with him. And so just a comfort that he is suffering with us or the, the Christian knows that the Lord Jesus suffered and we um, could think so much about just how he suffered in his life. And so this third way, though, is that we're waiting patiently for the redemption of our bodies. So we are obliged to wait patiently, to not take matters into our own hands, but to wait patiently. And so... Um, if you noticed our obligation, you know these things sonship to the Father, suffering for Christ, patient endurance these obligations i don 't I, I think I can speak for you as well that they don 't exactly line up well with our flesh 's skill set like our flesh doesn't naturally look like God, it doesn't want to suffer for Christ, and it doesn't want to be patient in its endurance and so that 's why these are brought up in this chapter that's talking about the spirit of God in the the work of the spirit in the believer because these are things that If you're sitting here thinking wow obligation sounds like duty duty sounds like I need to roll up my sleeves and get my act together No, I mean we can you can try but that's Romans 7 is going to show how futile that exercise is And so Romans 8 though is showing us that this is the work that God wants to do inside of us Like He wants to complete this work in us it's, um, and so, this is why Paul assures us in Romans 8 1. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. So, it's obligation without any threat of condemnation. That's a pretty good combination. <laughs> That's a lot of shuns. Um, that wasn't planned, but um, so there is an obligation and no con- condemnation. What a gracious God. And so, because we have been united with him and his spirit, is given to the believer in Jesus, we have been fully equipped to resemble the Sonship to the Father as we ought, fully equipped to suffer for Christ, Um, fully equipped to wait patiently for the redemption of our bodies. And it's his spirit that does all these things. And so I would suggest to you that our short passage today, two verses, is really the key that unlocks this treasure in your and my lives, Um, really focusing on prayer here. And so let's read verse 26 and 27. Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities. For we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And he that searches the hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. Let's just open in prayer. Our Father, we are so thankful um, that you have given us your Spirit. And so, Lord, we just pray that as we open your Word this morning, Father, help us. We pray that you would impress um, the the message that you would have each of us to hear, that you would impress it upon our hearts. Lord, that you would guide my mouth, my words. Um, Lord, would you please speak to us? Would you help us to understand the treasure chest That you've put in front of us um, to have access to you and so lord we just pray that this this time um, would have um, eternal value and for your glory we pray in the lord jesus christ's name amen and so we um, we read uh, verse 26 and verse 27 and it's interesting this is the first mention of the word prayer um, since chapter one where paul just mentions how he had prayed that he would be able to visit them and so think about, though, the context of where we've been, of why, um, why it makes sense for prayer to be mentioned now. Um, we've, we've been talking about the work of the Spirit. This whole chapter has been about really the work of the Spirit in the life of the believer. In verse 11, we read, the Spirit quickens us, makes us alive. Um, verse 12, we read, the Spirit leads us. Verse 13, we read, the Spirit assures us assures us of our sonship Um, and then verse uh, 26 now we see 26 and 27 that the spirit helps us by interceding for us and so that's what we're really focused on now is just this this most recent work that of the spirit is um is what we experience in in prayer itself and so looking at these words here um we've got the work of the spirit oops yep sorry Try to keep up better with the, the slides. And so we have the first word here is the spirit helps us. Um, Likewise, the spirit helps our infirmities. And I just like this word. I mean, it's, we would probably define it if you something very similar. But it's not that he's replacing you. He's not taking over. Um, sometimes we maybe wish that was the, the process. But he's there to help. He's there to, um, he's together to support. It's like you're on one end of something heavy and he's on the other end and he's there to help you. Um, he helps us in our prayers and in our infirmities. And so weaknesses, uh, we read weaknesses for we do not know how or what we should pray. Paul is Referring particularly to being that we are spiritually weak. Um, We are incapacitated to pray appropriately. And so generally, he's just referring to the frailty of the human condition. We are weak physically, but we're also so weak in spirit, um, in wisdom, in understanding. And so we don't know how to pray is better translated, uh, we do not know what to pray. Um, it's just we, we don't even know what to say. We are weak in the sense that we do not know how or what to pray because we don't know what is truly good for us or truly bad for us. We think we know what's good for us, um, the promotion, the the, um, the new the next new thing. And so I have here on the slide a decision point just um, I wonder how many have just given up on prayer because you if the verse ended here, it's, it's outlining a reality that's true of us. First, that we have a, a weak, frail condition. And second, that we don't know what to pray for. And so, you know, you might feel like, I don't know what to say. I can get on my knees, but I have no idea what to say to God. And so it's a decision point. Do we go on in our prayer? Will we press on in prayer? Um, An old story illustrates this idea that we don't really know what's good for us or what's bad for us, and so um, sometimes we do feel at a loss of what to pray for. And so there's this Chinese proverb, I guess, that I came across, a Chinese gentleman lived on the border of China and Mongolia. In In those days, there was a constant conflict and strife along the perimeter. The man had a beautiful horse. One day she leaped over the corral, raced down the road, crossed the border, and was captured by the Mongolians. His friends came to comfort him. That's bad news, they said sadly. The man replies, What makes you think it's bad news? Maybe it's good news. A few days later, the mare came bolting into his corral, bringing with it a massive stallion. His friends crowded around. That's good news. They cried, What makes you think it's good news? He asked. Maybe it's bad news. Later, his son, while riding the stallion and trying to break it, was thrown off and broke his leg. That's bad news, cried the friends. What makes you think it's bad news? Asked the Chinese gentleman. Maybe it's good news. One week later, war broke out with Mongolia. A Chinese general came through drafting all the the young men. All later perished, except for the young man who couldn't go because his leg was broken. The man said to his friends, you see, the things you thought were bad turned out good. The things you thought were good turned out bad. And, um, and so isn't that an interesting way to think about this passage, how it's describing that we don't know what to pray for. We don't, we don't know. Um, and so, but what a gracious God we have that we carry on in this verse. It says, the Spirit intercedes. Um, likewise, the Spirit helps in our infirmities. The Spirit itself makes intercession for us with groanings, which cannot be uttered. And so the Spirit intercedes. The Holy Spirit of God dwelling in us knows our wants better than we do. So he himself is pleading for us in our prayers. He is raising us to higher and holier prayers and desires than we could express with words. To intercede means to plead on another's behalf with urgency. Wow, if you could have somebody plead on your behalf, who else would you want than God himself? What a gift. Um, God, put, God the Spirit puts the cry into our hearts and a spirit of wrestling in our souls. Um, what he teaches us to ask on earth is an exact correspondence to what Jesus, our great high priest, is interceding for us in heaven they're in perfect harmony how much better is this like when when a believer says to someone I'm praying for you like sometimes I just I take a, um like at work some there's been some hard things that some of my colleagues have gone through and it's just interesting to watch how my peers will um, will try to encourage them They'll they'll say things like um, sending positive thoughts your way and and it's just like, I'm I'm struck sometimes, I'm like, does anybody else notice that? Like, does the world notice, like, is that meaningful at all to say I'm sending positive thoughts? Like, my thoughts can't, like, I could think about, like, changing that paper to go to that side of the wall with my thoughts. It's not going to move the paper. It's not going to do anything. I have no control of my thoughts over anything around me. And yet, um, what a privilege that when we pray that these aren't just empty thoughts, like we have God presenting prayer requests that align with his will um, to himself, and it's just a, it's a mystery that I don't think we can fully enter into, um, but it's an awesome mystery, one that I I hope that each of us really wants to learn more of in our own lives, and so um, this next word, groan, or groaning, um, well, when we don't know what to pray, there's nothing wrong with groaning. Like there is sometimes I have found the most relief in my prayers by just crying, Oh God, oh God, like, oh God, he knows. Think of Hannah's prayer in Samuel and Eli, the priest, right? He thought she was drunk. And yet she was groaning before her God. Like she was laboring, travailing in prayer. And and we see the Lord heard her and answered her prayer. Um, And so we see here in the next verse, he who searches the hearts. Uh, There's a neat verse in 1 Chronicles 28, verse 9 that I'll read. As for you, my son Solomon... Know the God of your Father and serve him with a loyal heart and with a willing mind. For the Lord searches all hearts and understands all the intent of the thoughts. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will cast you off forever. What it says is so succinctly, the Lord searches all hearts and understands the intents and the thoughts. And then we have this incredible passage in Hebrews 4. I'll just read it. Um, there is no creature hidden from his sight. All things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Think if it ended there, man, Who? which of us would want to pray? Like, bear my. Like, if God sees me, like, he's going to see how bad and how um, inconsistent I am. But. What are we invited to do at the end of that? Verse 16, let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Many other verses about God searching our hearts. Um, what would he typically find? I mean, James, James talks about the you have not because you ask amiss. You pray for the wrong things that you can consume it on your lusts. he says. So God searching our hearts and our flesh, he's gonna find the, the bad things. Um, selfish desires, excuses that we make, selfishness, fear, desperation. But when we pray in the Spirit, the Spirit of God, the Spirit of the Lord Jesus is there to meet God's searching eyes um, and presents our groanings in accordance with the Father's will. It's such a gift. And so why pray? Why pray? why labor so intently after something that is so indis, um, indiscernible to our senses? We don't tend to really prioritize things that are like mystical or just out there and um, not subjective. Like, it doesn't practically make a lot of sense. Like, is this the best use of my time to, to, to spend this time praying? And so I really wanted to just close with. Um, <laughs> excuse me, a few verses here, or a few reasons why we should pray. Um, and these are just, I've read through the, most of the epistles in the New Testament um, in the last little bit, and, and just impressed about how much, um, how much the Lord has in store um, for us. And that I, I really think prayer is such a, a key ingredient to unlocking so much of our walk with the Lord. So, one, we see Jesus' purpose is to intercede for us. Um, Hebrews 7.25, Therefore, he is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him, since he ever lives to make intercession for us, Um, or for them. Hebrews 9.24, for Christ has not entered the holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. God for us. What is um, he who spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all? How shall he not with him freely give us all things? God is for us. He is his purpose in heaven, seated at his Father's right hand, to intercede for us. That's a really compelling reason to pray. Um, second, to acknowledge Jesus' headship. This this definitely grates on our flesh, right? Like, we want to be our own head. Uh, we, like, we think this head can figure things out pretty well. Um, and yet, um, Jesus' headship is another one that I really think um, is ties back to, what Paul mentioned, this, this duty or this debt, this obligation in the believer's life. Obligation implies headship. It implies authority. And, and so Jesus has authority over the believer. Um, or the believer has acknowledged Jesus' authority in his life. And so here's um, prayer reminds us of his power and of his position. And prayer aligns us with his will. It's just a good daily discipline hourly discipline perhaps to to recognize my head. I have a head that I need to go to like I think I can do my job really well and so I can I can just crank through my work but like what about in all my ways acknowledging him like is there a blessing in that and just saying, Lord, I can't do this without you and um, and so acknowledging his headship, he has plans I need to align with his plans not, Mine. Uh, so Ephesians one twenty two, and he put all things under his feet, gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that fills all in all. The church is the body, and Christ is its head. Uh, Ephesians five twenty, we are members of his body, his flesh, his bones. It's very possessive uh, of God being possessive, right? We are his. Um, he's the head. Let's just, um, in all things, he may have the preeminence. May that be, prayer helps us remember that he's the boss. Like, he should have preeminence. Number three, I feel like I should be Micah Tuttle saying this. We are in an epic battle. Um, for those who don't know him, he's just very dynamic. and uh, We are in an epic battle. Galatians 5.17, the flesh lusts against the spirit my flesh lusts against the spirit of god in me in you too the same battle is happening in the spirit thank the lord the spirit is lusting against the flesh it's battling the flesh these are contrary to one another so that you do not do the things you wish uh, for we do not wrestle ephesians six twelve. we do not wrestle against flesh and blood but against principalities against powers rulers of darkness of this age spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places how do we read verses like this and be infantile in our prayers, if praying at all? Like this should scare us so much to understand that we are wrestling with things way bigger than us. Uh, when we go into a week, a week of VBS, people are get, like people get sick. Um, there are so many things that physical, spiritual, the warfare is on. The prayer is real and is needed. Like. For these works, camp, Um, there is so much that Satan hates what's happening. And prayer is our only way. You have to wrestle in spirit with a spiritual battle. And Ephesians 6.16, above all, taking the the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench the fiery darts of the wicked one. God doesn't exaggerate. Fiery darts are coming at us. What's it doing to you? What's it doing to me? If we're not praying, if we're not, um, these, these are just a reminder. We are in an epic battle, a good reason to pray. Um, our spiritual life depends on it. Galatians, Paul puts it this way. Are you so foolish? Having begun in the spirit, are you now perfected by the flesh? It's our natural tendency, even as Christians, to dismiss the spirit and to try to do it in the flesh. Ephesians three sixteen that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man, rooted, grounded, to know the love of Christ, filled with the fullness of God. I would suggest to you, um, you're not going to have, you're not going to understand and experience the fullness of God, um, if we're not praying, if we're not spending time with him. Um, we, there's so much we could read pray without ceasing he who calls you is faithful who also will do it our spiritual life depends on it he will do it it unlocks the treasure chest of our inheritance colossians 2:3 in whom being Christ are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling. A word from our chapter is hope. The hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance? Another word from our chapter, hope, inheritance in the saints. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. It unlocks the treasure chest. Is your flesh, is my flesh, going to unlock these things for you? Are we going to figure this out by, you know, trying harder, by even reading more? That's a good. It's definitely good to be reading, but we have to acknowledge our head. We have to acknowledge dependence on Him for this to not, um, to not just become a work in the flesh. And so, lastly. Why pray? Unlocks a treasure chest. The hope we have is an anchor of the soul. This is what enables us to enter the presence of God, um, where the forerunner has entered for us, even Jesus. Number six, there's seven, so we're almost there. To resemble Christ. Ephesians 4.13, Till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ." God has big plans. I mean, if you read those verses, you're like, wow, that's ambitious. I don't know if I'm gonna get there. Uh, but that's that's his desire, is for us to, back to that obligation of sonship, that we would resemble Christ. A good reason to pray. Um, but speaking the truth in love, that we may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ. And lastly, One thing that has really impressed on me as I read through the epistles is how much you read, particularly Paul, because he wrote most of it, but just expressing a complete willingness to be miserable as long as others are growing and prospering. Like to say with such conviction that my persecution, my stripes, my imprisonments, they're all worthy if it's for your betterment. Like speaking to these churches, he is so happy to lay down his life for others to flourish and prosper, and and this doesn't come naturally to us, right? And so we can pray for one another. And what a what a privilege um, to have examples in in um, in these epistles, Galatians four nineteen. My little children, for whom I labor in birth again until Christ is formed in you. I don't know of many women that would just sign up to to just have a baby for the sake of having a baby like just the experience of labor is traumatic i i hear and um but that's how that's the wording paul is using he is laboring birthing pains for others it's not even himself I wish I labored like this for others in prayer. I wish there were people that I was saying it'll be worth it. And I by God's grace that that will happen, and it is happening. But I'm um, there is so much. Think of 1 Corinthians 4 14. I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. I hate conflict. Uh, but a heart You see Paul's heart coming out here as a father towards a child. These weren't his physical children. But he's saying, I've, like, I've labored, I've birthed you, and here he is talking to them. For you have many guides in Christ, but you do not have many fathers. I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Ephesians 6.18, Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit for all the saints. Colossians four twelve, Epaphras, who is one of you, greets you. Look at this description of Epaphras. He's a slave of Christ, always struggling on behalf of you, in his prayers that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. Second Timothy one three, I remember you constantly in my prayers, night and day. James five sixteen. Therefore, confess your sins to one another. Pray for one another so that you may be healed. The effective prayer of a righteous person avails much. There are so many we could think about of praying for others. Do you care about others blossoming, of uh, flourishing in their walks with the Lord? Prayer is, um, is a great place to start. Um, and so in conclusion, what kind of outcome should we expect? Um, and I, I just really... I like the story of Lazarus a lot just because of some of the details that are shared in it. But, um, if you think about Lazarus, uh, this, his sisters, Mary and Martha, they, they send a messenger to the Jesus saying, Jesus, you got to come. Lazarus is really sick. He's not doing well. And, and his disciples say, okay, let's go. And Jesus is like, not yet. Um, he hasn't died yet. And, um, and so his sisters, they were praying, right? They were, it was like they're making their request to God, like heal my brother. And, um, Instead, they got to witness something even greater than a healing. They got to witness a resurrection, didn't they? And yet, though, what was the first thing they witnessed? They witnessed something that looks more like a zombie, right? It says Lazarus came out with his grave clothes on. And so it's just like, I love even, and maybe I'm stretching it, but just the imagery, he told his disciples to go loosen the grave clothes off of him. And what a privilege we have to come alongside one another. What if the sisters, I mean, this is just... Like, oh, he's alive. I don't like he can stay in the grave clothes. Like, but that's not the end, right? He we want him to be looking like the young man, the the fully resurrected man that he is. And so I um I, I feel like the Lord was um encouraging me recently that don't settle for meager answers to prayer. Don't say like, well, that I guess this is the best I can expect for this age of the church or this day. Like expect great things of God. Um And so um, there's, I, there's so much we could think about. The blind man is another example. In Mark 8, Jesus touched the man that he was blind, right? And um, what did he, it says, he first, he saw men as trees walking. Oh, that's better than I was. So great, I'll go on my way. No, the Lord Jesus had a full healing for him. When we pray, we should, we, there's things that I've prayed for that I realized, no, I settled. Uh, I, I accepted the first. Maybe the Lord sent that as an encouragement to me, and not as the answer—the encouragement to keep on praying, but not that He's done with this person yet, um, and that there's there's more resurrection work that He's going to do. Uh, where that, and and so I just want to say in, in closing that, boy, we just need to pray, and also expect expect what you read in Scripture as the answer, like the way Jesus. Is um, then is the way I um, I think we should pray with expectation, and so um, we don't need to go through those again. But here's forty five prayer requests that I um, wanted to list for you, and these are all the children that are signed up for Vacation Bible School this week, and there is a um, a cup of uh, names on it and it's sitting in the back if you're willing to grab a one of those names out and pray for that this week um it, i think it has their name and what grade they're in but um even our own kids are in that cup as well there's um but a lot from the neighborhood a lot of kids that don't know the lord are going to be here um, maybe we can take a first step of praying together for for these children this week um and so let's let's just close in prayer our Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you that we can call you Father, that you invite us to cry Daddy. We thank you that you're not looking for spiritual pedigrees and great accomplishments in our flesh, but you're looking simply for simple-minded people that, that let you be great, that expect you to be great and we treat you with the dignity you deserve by inviting you to be great in our prayers father we pray that you would work in our hearts individually corporately that we would recognize that we have an intercessor Jesus our high priest sits at your right hand your Holy Spirit Is within the believer giving words where we don't know what to say father we thank you help us teach us to just be silent or even groaning before you in prayer knowing that you know the needs and that you will answer Lord we just thank you for this this incredible book this incredible privilege to um, to learn from you. We just thank you for your great plan, your great provision. We pray a blessing on each one here, and um, Lord, we just also, just for those that are staying after, we give thanks, Lord, for the food that we'll enjoy, and we just pray that you would help the the setup to go well, and, and that there would be a unity of heart and purpose um, as we serve you together, and we're imperfect in so many ways, Lord, but we thank you for our perfect Savior. And we pray in the Lord Jesus Christ's name. Amen.